We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Welcome to today's podcast and today we have Nigel Fan from Worley. Welcome Nigel, um, it'd be fantastic if you could introduce yourself and uh, tell us a bit about Worley. Thank you for having me Dave. Uh, say my name's Nigel, I'm the founder and CEO at Worley, a toy subscription company that's trying to make uh, families' lives a lot more uh, a lot less wasteful, rather, uh, and a lot more affordable. Uh, what we do in a nutshell uh, is an online toy library for children's toys. Uh, parents sign up to get access to a range of over a thousand toys from us. They pick and choose exactly what they want to borrow from us. Uh, Worley does everything, so we pack it in our own warehouses, we dispatch it to a customer, and then as or when a child uh, is bored of a toy or they just need the next age or skill appropriate toy, Parents just put it back in a box, stick on the prepaid returns label and send it back to us. Uh, again, it comes back to our facility and Worley takes care of everything. So we clean, sterilize and check that the toy sets are complete before we make it available for another family to order. Uh, so in a nutshell, we are a circular economy for children's toys, uh, trying to really reduce the amount of waste that happens in this category. Um, our own research tells us that one in four toys go unloved within uh, approximately a week. Uh, sometimes parents will admit that toys go unloved within a few hours, and that's just staggering when you think about it. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have children and they have their own anecdotes about coming back from the toy store only to find that the kid gets easily distracted. Either they're playing with the packaging rather than the toy itself, or after a few hours, they just go back to an old favourite. I, I mean, I, I think it's a, such an interesting idea. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I've got five children, so... Um... Okay, so you know this quite I, well. I know this quite well, and you, you know I know that whole thing of kind of buying a toy, unwrapping the toy, and then um, you know it sort of being stuck in a box ten minutes after they've sort of first played with it. So you know, I, I and I also understand the levels of waste as well. So my my kids are all a lot more kind of grown up now, but. You know, there was a time when I, I mean, I'm ashamed to say it, I hired a skip and filled the skip with, <laughs> with, with old toys. So, I mean, it's, um, it's mm. just, and th- th- I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to say that's exactly it, isn't it? Because I think parents uh, often try to do their best to recycle, donate to a thrift store, but the sheer volume of it, and some of it's very difficult to decide. Like, is it in a good enough condition to, uh, to kind of go donate it, or would would it be recycled? And a lot of people try these days to put it into recycling, but the unfortunate truth is that many toys are made of difficult to recycle polymers, um, and some of them have electronics, batteries, and then for lights and sound, these toys actually get picked out of the recycling line and thrown into landfill eventually. And so it's 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 kind of a real problem that many parents um, grapple with. Um, and also as we record this obviously it's just about Christmas around the corner it's not just for parents buying toys for their own children but I'm sure especially five kids you must have experienced a lot of frustration getting gifts whether it's from the kids grandparents or the uncles and aunties trying to kind of do their part and all of these gifts well not all of them but many of them end up frustrating families and parents because they're gifts that you didn't want in your house so the gifts might be things that you already have 
if we're all kind of being honest and truthful yeah, about no, it. I think, because I think it's so it's difficult. Best, yeah, no, absolutely. This is the, the Toy <laughs> Truth and Reconciliation podcast. So, no, I, I absolutely <laughs> understand. I, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So, why, why, why did you decide to start the business? I mean, mm. you know, I, I, as I say, I've sat there. I've seen the whole thing. I felt incredibly guilty as I've sort of thrown toys yeah. away. But I didn't go... You know what? I'm going to start a business. What 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 happened? How did you and why did you start? So I have to say my founding story is uh, quite unique and interesting, in that I'm not a parent myself, and wow. so this is not a problem that it is not a, one of those entrepreneurial stories that comes about from having experienced and lived it firsthand, very much secondhand. I have to say, uh, which maybe fits the theme of what we're trying to do with secondhand toys. Uh, but I remember going through this period a few years ago where virtually all my friends are becoming parents for the first time. You know, you just hit that age where everyone's yeah, getting married yeah, yeah. and everyone's getting uh, kind of their first kids. And every time I go out with my friends, they all collectively share their struggles. Uh, and the big kind of point that they talk about and the frustration that really got to them was how much money they were spending on all sorts of uh, this whole myriad of baby goods that they call transient because, uh, and you know this as well, it's like lots of things that you purchase knowing that you don't need them for a very long period of time, especially when it's your first kid and especially when you have absolutely no idea what's going to stick. Is this cot going to be the cot that your baby sleeps in? Well, is it going to be something else? Uh, and there's this whole stress that causes parents to just throw money at the problem a little bit. We're just going to kind of buy all sorts of stuff that we think we need. And if we don't need it, that's okay because I'd rather have it just in case rather than not have it and have like a baby who's crying and that you know makes my life more stressful and i think we can all sympathize with that so so when i when my friends were chatting about this the idea just came to me i was just well surely if these things are things you don't need for a very long period of time it's causing you a lot of frustration you feel like you're wasting a lot of money why not borrow it or why not rent it or why not have some sort of peer-to-peer -peer sharing economy concept around it and that's when I discovered that such a service didn't exist. And what a lot of my friends said was that I would use a service like this if it existed. And if it existed in a way that I could trust and it was professionally done and the brand was good and I knew that I was still giving the best for my child. There is a real barrier, I think, in parenting when it comes to secondhand products because that whole sense of like, is, are the products going to be good quality? Am I doing the best I can uh, for the child that I'm bringing up? And so based off all of that, you know, I thought to myself, look, I wanted something at Worley to be around when I become a parent. So why not go out and build it? <laughs> and sure enough, uh, you know, fingers crossed, uh, I probably soon one day become a dad for the first time. I'll be very glad to have built Worley just for myself to use even. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, fingers crossed for you as well. But I, I, I think that's mm -hmm. a sort of fascinating that you kind of saw that that opportunity. You saw the kind of gap and then you know, you, you ended up making a, it a reality. So it sounds like you did some, some sort of research and, you know, there wasn't anything out there. So so kind of, I guess, from the spark, what were sort of some of the first things that you, you sort of set about doing in terms of actually getting the, the business up and running? Hmm. Yeah, sure. I think um, consumer insight is always key as to any consumer business or to any kind of business, really, just understanding what your customers want. I think it's especially key um, when you're in my position where you're not naturally a target audience or not naturally a customer of your own product. Uh, and so the first thing I did was really going out to speak to a lot of parents to understand uh, what their pain points were and understand how the service could work. Um, and, and 
my, my biggest tip I always give to other founders, entrepreneurs is to make sure you speak to parents you're not, or, or customers that you're not so close to. Because one thing, and I'm sure many entrepreneurs say this as well, but when you speak to family or friends, a lot of people want to be encouraging. You speak to your colleagues at work, they want to be encouraging as well. You really need people to tell you the hard truths. Uh, and so it got to a point where I was probably, I have to say, a bit overbearing in some conversations where as soon as I found out someone was a parent, I would ask them a whole sort of things about how they raised their kid and where they purchased stuff and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, and, and through all of that, it helped us hone down a lot into, as you might know, early today is specifically focused on children's toys. And that came up very quickly in the first few months of just like, you know, understanding the idea of speaking to parents uh, and this is where parents said that their real pain points were because children's toys uh, it's not individually super expensive but it adds up over the course of a year individually it doesn't take a lot of space but again it adds up to a lot of clutter in your living room over the year and, and there are some higher price point items like push chairs buggies etc but the reality is that those items last very long you can um, you can sell them on eBay or Gumtree secondhand, or you can buy them secondhand. It's less of an issue. And so it, it was really through those kind of conversations that helped me focus on toys, um, especially in a world where I you know, wasn't a customer myself. And so I relied on that information. So, I mean, and, and, and the, the service itself is a, it's a subscription service. Is that, that's right, isn't that? That's right. That's right. So you subscribe to one of our plans effectively. Um, and then, uh, you get to pick a choose. So it's quite flexible. It's subscription only in the sense that that's how payments are done to get access to our membership. Uh, but but then, then again, uh, you can choose the cadence of how frequently you want new toys, how much how, how often you want to swap. And that's really to promote flexibility so that parents can uh, really decide for themselves when they want the next set of toys and what toys they want to order from us. This is a world, again, a lot of this informed by customer research where parents have vastly different philosophies around how they want to raise their children. And, and so we didn't want to go down the path of curating products like other subscription boxes do, because we think that, yeah, I, I don't just sit here, David, pretend I know your kids better than you do. And you'll probably tell me, but even when you were purchasing it for your kids when they were younger, you probably found it difficult yourself. And then so how would anyone else know what your children enjoy or what you might want in your house versus what you don't? It's virtually impossible. So, so you know, you I, I guess from a, um, if I take out a subscription, I can then sort of select the toys I want to go into as part of that su subscription. So it's sort of quite, quite yeah, customer-driven right. then, rather than curated. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so what we do is just stock a really broad range of toys, the most popular brands, the must-haves, the latest TV shows, and it's up to parents to decide, do I want this toy, do I want something toy, and they construct uh, their own toy box. Um, so each, each kind of customer experience is quite personalized in that way because it's, um, it's quite unique uh, because parents decide... Yeah, I mean, I just I think it's an, it's an amazing idea. I mean, as, you, as you're talking to me, I'm thinking, God, why... Why didn't anyone think of this before? But I, 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 th I think like so many kind of brilliant ideas, it, it, it's sort of obvious once it's there. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, because you were the first, you've had to kind of do a lot of thinking about, you know, as you say, the audience. But then on the other side is sort of sourcing products. And, you know, I guess there's a whole logistics kind of um, uh, sort of angle that you, you've had to kind of consider around this as well. Yeah, there is. And that was, I think, um, quite a bit challenging for us, as you can imagine, at the start, new brand going out to big brand suppliers with a completely new commercial model that they hadn't seen before and trying to convince them to participate and sell these products and, and appear on our platform. 
Uh, so in the early years, this was one of our biggest achievements, I have to say, to be able to convince the brands that you see on our website to, to work with us. Uh, many of these brands, um, of course, uh, sell mostly to physical bricks and mortars retail, and some of them have their own online consumer, uh, direct-to-consumer presence. And so the extent to they wanted to kind of participate with an unknown kind of scheme that hasn't been proven out yet uh, was something, a challenge that I probably didn't foresee that at the start. I, I thought it would be a little bit easier where you know, brands just kind of want to sell goods, so they they sell to whoever buys. But no, for each supplier, we had to go through quite a uh, sometimes difficult process in kind of proving ourselves, justifying why their model works. And I think what really had made it for us were two things. I think one, obviously, as you say, like the concept itself really drew a lot of manufacturers to think, you know what, this is quite a novel service, and they themselves could see the the benefit of it. Uh, and one of them even admitted to me that the toy industry probably needs more innovation that it's seeing and this is genuinely new innovation that the, the industry has never seen over the last 20-30 years that could be really really big but then, then the second thing I think is all about that kind of quality of execution I'm sure you focus a, a lot of it with your other entrepreneurs on the podcast but execution is key in everything as we know not just the idea and it's key for so many reasons, uh, not just customer satisfaction, not just customer traction, but also for us really kind of convincing the trade that we are here. Yes, we are a startup, but we know what we're doing. We are not cowboys that just be given money and don't know how to invest it or spend it. And that we really professionally run and we understand what it means to create a win-win for ourselves and our suppliers as well. And so that was really important for us too. It's really interesting what you say. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, you're only as good as your last order, aren't you, in terms of... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think it's fascinating. And I mean, that whole thing of actually getting the industry to understand that this is a new way of buying mm. of buying yeah. um buying toys and sort of getting toys into yeah. kids hands i think is is fascinating so i mean did can i ask because it 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 is kind of part of the circular economy and i think that's becoming that's right. a, as sort of esg and um uh, and sort of environmental kind of causes are becoming more and more um, of a priority for businesses. Do you think that kind of helped with sort of dealing with manufacturers? Do you think they were like, oh, now we can see this as an opportunity so we can kind of promote ourselves as helping with the circular economy thing? Because I I think you, you, you quoted a figure, which I, I mean, I, I don't have in front of me, but the amount of toys going into kind of landfill is just, is just depressingly large, yeah. isn't it? It's... Tens of millions um, or every year that eventually go to landfill. Um, you know, this Christmas alone, uh, parents will spend about 100, 150 pounds, sometimes more than that, uh, on toys for their children. And most of these toys go unloved early into 2022. Uh, and so some of these may sit in consumers' households for a long time. I, I don't know about you, but many parents will admit to still having an, oh no, you mentioned you put them in the skip. Uh, other parents who mentioned that they have uh, an attic or shed yep. full of toys, despite their children all, <laughs> all moving out already. Uh, and so, so it takes a while, but these toys eventually um, get put into, uh, into a landfill. Um, when it comes to the manufacturer space, I think, um, again, if we're being truthful, I'm a bit cynical about some of this as well. Um, some manufacturers clearly see the benefit uh, and that the consumer trend is going towards more ethical, more sustainable consumption. And so that's why they work with us. Some of them, you know, obviously not to name names, but one of them bluntly said that they thought it would be a great way for them to add some kind of sustainability credentials to themselves because right. they themselves don't have strong sustainability credentials. Um, and I understand that. Um, 
but then, then if I'm really honest, that you know, there are a few manufacturers that don't work with us. Um, of course, we we've been successful with the broad range of brands that we wanted to bring, but there are a small handful that still don't work with us, and that's largely. I think the classic hesitation around what is this going to do to my core business and, and the, does the sharing economy mean that volumes of manufacturing actually go down in the long term because consumers are sharing and so as a manufacturer I need to make less right yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. no I mean it's, it's fascinating it's fascinating but I mean that that is going to happen isn't it you know so Exactly. It's very much like the, um, you know, we talk about the Kodaks or the kind of different businesses in the history of time that didn't recognize when innovation was coming and they fought against it to their own detriment rather than participating in it, right? And that's kind of our take as well. We think that, look, um, this is the reality of where not just the toy industry, but I think most industries are headed towards some level of reduction and some level of circularity or reuse rather. Um, and that means that we all have to kind of adapt to the paradigm. And we welcome suppliers who want to join us as the kind of like first wave of brands on our platform to kind of grow with us. Um, and those that don't, you know, I think time will tell what happens. No, I mean, it, it's 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 really interesting because I, I mean, I'm, I, I do a lot of work in the financial services industry. So mm. I've been doing a lot of research into how um, climate change will impact the financial services yeah. industry. And I'm convinced that we'll all end up with a personal carbon budget. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think about like, you know, decisions we'll all have to make as individuals about yeah. sort of our carbon and environmental footprints, you know, having these yeah. sorts of services in place mean that, you know, you will be able to kind of very much get on top of sort of your, your mm. carbon and um, your environmental issues. Um, yeah, and it, you know, I completely agree with that, by the way. And I think it's a carbon budget's very apt word because one of the challenges that we are always very cognizant about is the costs associated with reducing your carbon or the costs associated with trying to live more sustainably, whether it's meat substitutes that are a bit more expensive or uh, anything else. Uh, we started early with a very much philosophy that it needed to be accessible to the mainstream and it needed to be something that every parent could subscribe to because it's there as an option for every single parent. What we didn't want to do was price it out so that it was a service that was only for a select few that could afford it or anything like that. And, and that's my own uh, criticism sometimes I'd say about some of the other startups that have a kind of core sustainability mission as well is that, you know, in a future where everyone's got a carbon budget, there's so many things to balance of like, what would you sacrifice? What would you mind not, not living with? And it also then comes down to cost because it's also what can you afford in monetary terms, not just in carbon terms as well. Um, and that's going to be a difficult equation for a lot of families to kind of to grapple with. And so giving them good low cost alternatives and options is, the, is what we need to do. No, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, really interesting. So just on the circular aspect of it, you talked about kind of, you know, as toys come back, you then, you know, make sure they're okay, you clean them. And then, you know, what have you found in terms of, in terms of your customers? Are they... You know, have you had any sort of negative responses to, or oh, this isn't new, or, you know, what are people feeling as the kind of toys are kind of coming back in? Yeah, so our quality control process is absolutely rigorous, and it has to be. Uh, you know, even pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, uh, hygiene, and I think parents understand that kids can you know, put a lot of stuff in their mouth, and, and things can get a bit yucky once kids have had their play with them. So we've always had a very rigorous kind of quality control um, process, 
when the pandemic started, this became one of our strengths. Um, you know, you wind the clock back a year and a half ago, and I tell you honestly, I had no idea what the pandemic was going to do to our business. Will we see mass cancellations because of the whole ick factor? Because people were worried oh, about yeah, cleanliness no, and hygiene. Yeah, uh, yeah, I... yeah. So, so we nearly like paused the entire business for that time period. But what we saw was quite the opposite. Um, a customer stayed with us, and our churn rate was the lowest it was it ever has been. Um, and a lot of new subscribers flocked to join our service as a kind of means to try out toys, educate their children, entertain their children without kind of breaking the bank. Um, and for us, that really highlighted the importance of the core model of what we do. We are not a marketplace. Uh, we are a full service retailer. And as entrepreneurs, it's a very difficult decision to make because as you can imagine, having the warehousing costs, working with supplies, purchasing the stock, owning the stock, it's very capital intensive. And then owning all the logistical process to clean and sterilize everything, again, capital intensive. But it's paid dividends for us because customers really enjoy the toys. They understand, and if you look at our reviews, we're a very well-reviewed service. Customers think that the quality of toys is fantastic. And our problem is really is that the toys you get are like new at worst. And so you may notice a few scratches. It may have a crayon mark there because the previous kid enjoyed it so much. But the reality is that the feedback is that customers really like seeing that their toys are not perfectly new because that's the point of yeah, the service, no, isn't it? If it was all kind of... <laughs> actually, a bit of, bit of provenance in terms of sort of the odd crayon mark and things is a, is a, is a positive. It, Exactly right. And we had one mum who messaged us on Instagram. I still remember this is like a year or so ago. And she DM'd us saying that, you know, she loves following our Whirly brand account because every time she sees a us feature a baby that's played with a toy that she's ordered for her own son before, it makes her think that this could literally be the same that's toy lovely. that her son has played with. And, you know, in a time when people are self-isolating, that kind of like connection that you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm still connected to this community through the toys that we're sharing with other families. I think that's really powerful uh, in terms of like speaking volumes to what the sharing economy can do as well for that side of things. Uh, no, I think it's a lovely, uh, I think it's lovely. I just, I, I guess a, a more kind of technical question is you've got quite a sophisticated sure. platform. So is that something mm -hmm. you've built or is that a kind of off the shelf platform that... We've had to build it in-house, and um, so all of our technology is built um, uh, as proprietary, uh, including the customer-facing website that you see, and including, obviously, the core APIs, and also uh, including some of the tech that we use in our operations and warehousing. So why, why did you go, I mean, why not go to a kind of platform or a Shopify or something like that to... Yeah, so... Good question, and this was one of the big strategic decisions we had to make within the first year. And the reality is that a lot of these platforms don't cater really well for um, sharing economy, circular models, or rental concepts. They, they, they're really built for traditional e-commerce um, and don't do some of the core things that we need in our technology to do, basic tracking of all our stock. We own, uh, I think it must be close to like 100,000 toys worth of, you know, a few million pounds these days, and we need to track all the inventory as it goes in and out of different customers' houses, as it comes back to our warehouse, track the condition of them, track the usage, utilization, etc. All of this is quite bespoke that you can't quite do with a off-the-shelf platform. Uh, we did try at the start to take an open-source piece of software and see whether it would uh, either you could hammer around the edges and make it work. And it worked for a short period of time, but the reality is that 
given our aspirations and our ambitions, we are as much of a tech startup as we are a consumer startup, really. And so why we thought strategically it was really important for us to invest in the technology is one of the reasons why when you look around the world, uh, Worthy is quite unique, not just in the UK, but genuinely around the world in the way that we've implemented our model and the way that we've got tokens and how consumers have all this flexibility. A lot of that is enabled by our technology that no one else has. That's interesting. It's interesting you kind of say that you're a kind of technology business and, mm. you know, as well as a kind of consumer business. And I, I mean, obviously that it, that then kind of gives you opportunities to perhaps look at resale of your platform and things like that, you know, so. Yeah, a, a bit early to commit, but I think it's quite interesting and other brands have asked this before um, and not just in our own categories, but adjacent categories where, you know, its share economy is on the rise. Many entrepreneurs are having lots of ideas uh, in different categories and they kind of see our tech and want to license it, but it's just not ready yet in the place that we can uh, let others use it as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, just, I, I guess, a final question is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. is there a particular challenge you've had which you, you, you'd sort of like to to tell us about? Um, you know, I guess mm. it, it sort of sounds like you had a great idea. You've, you've been on top of the sort of insight. You've thought about the platforms but there must have been the occasional things where you go oh my god well i mean other than the (laughs) pandemic which is plenty (laughs) (laughs) i I think no different to any other uh entrepreneur or or business leader listening in uh you know life's uh, the journey's full of challenges bigger and small Uh, i think one that always sticks with me is one that i chat to founders in the early stage about is to to never underestimate um how little time spend or attention spend website visitors have and how simple your kind of communication needs to be. Uh, Worley and I think our biggest challenge has been that we are so new and so novel that if you were a parent that landed on our website just or heard about us for the first time, there's just so many questions on your mind because there isn't a service like this, not in other categories as well. And so what we found is that challenge of balancing giving enough information but not overloading the customer or not overloading the, the guests on the website was quite difficult for us to figure out. Uh, and what we found in the early days especially was probably we we tried to give too much. We tried to tell to consumers too much about everything that they probably didn't need to know uh, in terms of wanting to sign up, but they needed to know in terms of how to get the best of the service. And that really meant that conversion was poor. It meant that uh, your know, parents found it you know, too difficult in the two minutes they have while minding their kids on the site or, or, or being distracted by so many things going on in their lives to understand whether this was something they wanted to sign up for. And so we've been on a journey to simplify, simplify, simplify and, see, and, and, and kind of get across what we need to get across with the bare minimum. And that for me was a real learning as well. I think a reflection of the biases in my own initial approach, my own initial approach with consumer research was very much speaking to people where you have a lot of time to convey a back and forth and have a conversation. But when you're e-commerce and people are going to your site, the dynamics are so different. People are spending maybe three, four, five minutes. And when it's a new service that they need to engage for longer than that on, it's just really challenging as well. Yeah, I think that's an incredible insight, to be honest with you. And I mean, I really really like the fact that you've kind of called that out because it as you say mm. you, you know you've got seconds to kind of connect with an audience haven't you? Mm. so anyway I, I have to admit i'm not the best copywriter and so like writing stuff fitting it on a mobile screen well, it's like it's not my strong suit. absolutely absolutely well listen thank you so much for joining us it's been a really fascinating discussion and i you know i think it's an absolutely phenomenal service so um 
you know I'll, I'll be chatting to friends and family about it you know people with kids and sort of seeing if i can get you some subscribers wonderful thank you very much for having me dave my pleasure my pleasure thank you for listening to pep talk today powered by the purposeful project if you found it interesting please give us a review and follow us in addition you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge as well as get access to pep talk and the purposeful project podcast direct in your inbox every week